Welcome to the Pain-Free Fitness Podcast. I'm your host, Mariah Heller, and if there's one thing I've learned after being a fitness and health professional and a chronic pain sufferer for over a decade, it's that every body is unique. On this show, I sit down with health and wellness experts in an effort to gather as many different perspectives, journeys, and philosophies as possible. Join me in cultivating a collective growth mindset and challenge yourself to take away just one key point from each episode that inspires you to think or behave differently. Have a pain-free day and enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Pain-Free Fitness Podcast. What is going on, beautiful people? My name is Mariah, and I am your host for today and for all days of this show. But if you've listened to the show before, you know that it is my goal in life to create a collective growth mindset in the fitness and wellness industry. And I believe the way of doing that, at least the first step, is just to have some interesting conversations with people from diverse backgrounds who have different perspectives and different approaches, because that's how we learn, that's how we grow, is by just exposing ourselves to uh, a lot of a lot of different perspectives and cool stories like that. So my challenge to you is to try to just take away, even if it's just one key point for today, that you can you know, use in your life or in your training or in your work with your clients to impact your behavior or your thinking or anything like that. And I think with my guest today, uh, that will be an easy thing to do. Uh, Anna Woods is uh, a wife and a mom, but she is uh, also a former competitive CrossFit athlete, which is super impressive. We both kind of come from that world. So I'm going to talk to her a little bit about that. And she has created uh, programs and apps that help women and people in general kind of find their strength in and outside of the gym. And she is also building and designing, you know, programs and courses for other trainers to help clients with special needs and, and with adaptive fitness as well, which is an area that is hugely neglected, I think, in the fitness industry currently. So... I'm really excited to talk to Anna, but Anna, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be on here. I appreciate you asking. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So the first thing I want to ask is, you know, I, I talked a little bit about your background, but I like to just start with what is your story in the context of why your mission right now is so important to you? Sure. Um, that's always fun to talk about. I feel like I have evolved immensely over the last Oh, probably 16 or 17 years that I've been in this industry. And as I grow as a person, as my family grew, as my goals grew, my fitness and my approach to it has kind of evolved along with that. Um, early on, when I was just getting ready to start having kids or starting having kids, I did a lot of endurance, like keeping my weight down was number one priority. I didn't want to gain weight when I was pregnant. I didn't want to be overweight. So I ran a lot, didn't have marathons, marathons endurance events. Um, I'd come out of a collegiate sport background. I'd played sports my whole entire life. So I always had somebody telling me what to do. And then um, I had an injury and I'd have surgery and then step back from sports. And all of a sudden I had to figure out and redefine what fitness meant for me personally. Um, and I think I approached it from a very fear-based um, approach. All I was concerned about was I did not want to gain weight. Like I, I was an athlete and I wanted to maintain that, but I also wanted to be a mom and I had all these identities kind of forging my approach to my fitness. Um, 
So once I had my first child, I realized very quickly that going for a three hour run on Saturdays or, or a training an hour to two hours during the week was not going to happen any longer. Um, and so I started doing research on strength training programs at home. This was about 2008, 2009 and CrossFit was just kind of starting to become a little more mainstream. So I started following along with CrossFit mom program and following the main, the main site. I would just log in, do whatever was on there, be done for the day. Um, I remember Barbara was like one of the first workouts that I had done. And I remember I didn't have a pull-up bar. I couldn't do push-ups. I did squats to a chair. I remember I hung on my treadmill railing and did like pull-ups with my butt up and down off of the, the treadmill railing. And I worked out of my basement at that time. And I remember I got done and I was like <laughs> laid on the floor for like 20 minutes. And I'm like, I'm an endurance athlete. This should not be killing me like this. Um, and I finally made my way back upstairs and I was, I was so tired. Like, I think I took a nap that day, but it gave me enough of that craving to realize I wasn't in shape in, in general preparedness across all areas. I was only in good shape at running long distances. I was not strong. Um, and so that piqued my interest in terms of trying to become more fully evolved athlete and, and becoming better in all approaches. Um, and so that kind of changed the projection of my training personally with other clients and then myself. Um, and as my kids got older and we moved through, I, I always continually to train in my, either my basement or my garage, wherever we moved to, we moved a lot during that time. Mm -hmm. um, mostly working out at home with what I had. I think I had some bands, PVC pipe. I got an old nasty barbell at a garage sale, <laughs> got some plates, like everything. Even to this day, most of the equipment I still have is, is secondhand that I've, I've found and accumulated over the years. But that kind of forged the way for working more efficiently and getting in better shape in a short amount of time at home and got my thinking away from being an endurance athlete and needing to run for hours to lose weight. Um, mm -hmm. I, I still say I'm in much better shape now than I was when I was in my 20s as a college athlete um, and training half the time. So yeah, yeah, that's kind of where it started for me anyway. So that's, that's amazing. Yeah. And something that you talked about briefly is that you had, I think before you started CrossFit, you said you had an injury that you had to kind of rehab yourself from. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What was, what was that experience like for you? Cause I know a lot of the listeners and a lot of my clients are either injured or they're dealing with chronic pain. So yeah. can you talk a little bit about what that was like to kind of lose that and almost feel like you're having to start at square one and build back up? For sure. I, so I played softball, the college softball athlete, in our last game before regionals, we were winning the game and my coach threw me, I never played second base before I always played third and pitched. And my coach threw me in a second base just to finish the last inning. And I was running for a fly ball and the outfielder and I um, collided and I tore my ACL um, in my knee. And I remember that they took me off the field and then like, that was it. Like I was done. Um, I was needing to have surgery. They went on and finished playing and I went to all the games, but I remember emotionally like, what? like just the realization of, I, I could not do anything. I had, I, you know, I had surgery that summer, rehabbed all summer long. And I think I struggled more emotionally with, with redefining who I was than anything. But yeah, when your identity is so much of being an athlete and being strong, and then you have that all stripped away during a time where you're very much trying to figure out who you are. Cause I think I was 19 or 20, 19. 
trying to figure out who you are and what you want to be in the world. And, you know, sports had always been my thing. That was going to be what my focus was. And then all of a sudden you had to figure out all over again, what that meant. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to, you know, reapproach to my training. I had to add strength training in, but it had to be very controlled, very limited. Um, I had a lot of pain still, and I still have to be very limiting on the running that I can do because my knee still has never been the same. Yeah. Ended up not going back and playing softball after that because the pain that I had to deal with from my surgery and then any lateral movements for several years after, I just didn't feel strong. And if I couldn't feel strong, I didn't want to be out on the field and be a disadvantage for my teammates or deal with the pain myself all the time. Mm. Um, so, um, became much smarter in my training and learned about how to functionally train imbalances um, and learn how to train differently. You know, you get so used to the no pain, no gain. You need to train till you're dying. You need to be sore every day. Um, to realizing that actually wasn't a really intelligent approach. <laughs> uh, there's other ways, much better ways to get just a good a shape and you don't have to kill yourself basically. So absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah. That's, it's really important to just to kind of hone in on that as well, because it's, I had a similar experience kind of around the same time, around the same age. And I, I grew up as a martial artist and actually started dealing with chronic pain when I was like 16, but it didn't start to get devastating until I was probably 18 or 19. And that's when it was clear that something deeper was like really wrong. And I got a couple of surgeries and for a while, we just kind of went like that. Like we just kind of thought I was getting these persistent sports injuries and being really dumb. And then on the one hand, I kind of was right. Because just like you said, I did. It's like when you do a certain activity and I was really into CrossFit at the time, mm-hmm. your ego and your identity is, is one with that thing. Yeah. And it was, I just think about all the extra damage that I did to myself because I just refused to put down the barbell. <laughs> and I refused to stop doing these cool things that like made me feel like I was accomplished and strong and all of that. And for me, there was definitely a grieving and a mourning process to having to, to build a different relationship with myself physically and just say, you know, this does not make you strong. You are strong doing a lot of other things as well. This is just how your strength manifested in that moment. So for you, what was the kind of the, I guess the rebuilding timeline of when you started to kind of feel like, okay, this is not so bad, (laughs) you know, from the onset of your injury? Um, Honestly, I think it took me years. Yeah. (laughs) Like, kind of like you said, um, I, then put all my energy into making sure I didn't gain weight. Cause you know, yeah. when you can't work out, yep. you are used to eating a certain way and getting away with eating, especially at that age. Um, and I started gaining weight and all of a sudden everything that I focused on became don't gain weight. Yep. Um, and so I would run a lot. That's when I got into a lot of the endurance sports was, was um, biking and swimming. Cause I could do those two things and not hurt my knee as bad. Um, so I got into a lot of triathlons and like, then I just threw myself into that fully. Um, and then be overtrained because that was my concern. And then, um, during that time I had my first kid and then we wanted to have another one pretty closely after, and I could not get pregnant. It took us several years and, you know, doctors are telling you you're overtraining, you're not having regular cycles. Your body is in adrenal fatigue and exhaustion. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But (laughs) 
<laughs> I, I have to be able to still do these things, you know, there's something else wrong, figure it out, you know, um, we even went to like reproductive clinic, we went to, we did different fertility treatments, and I basically just came down and was not ovulating, I was not having regular cycles, I was working out too much, gotten too thin at that point in time, um, and so honestly, I think it took even that, mm. not being, I mean, and that was seven or eight years even after my knee injury but I think I was still wrestling with figuring out how to be myself by myself you know and that's kind of when the whole I really got into personal development um, learned a lot about um, holistic medicine learned a lot about nutrition and its impact on your health and then realizing that um, overtraining is a real thing um, you know you hear about it all the time and you're like yeah but that's just people that are being stupid <laughs> Um, and so truly wanting to have a child and, and not having ability to control that, um, was huge for me. And so I think that's kind of when I started getting into the, into the very basic of CrossFit at that point in time, I started learning a lot about, um, nutrition and healthy, healthy eating and that a certain amount of weight was good. And I needed it for my body to function a certain way. Yeah. Um, so I bet I would say it was almost 10 years at least. Um, cause once I started getting all those things back on track, we got pregnant, like very quickly mm. um, and then ended up adopting another child right after that. But, um, I, I literally would say probably 10 years at the time I wouldn't have admitted that, but looking back now, I can see all of these things yeah. were because I refused to acknowledge the, the emotional mental part that I was not willing to give up yet, um, or yeah. recognize. So, Yeah. Yeah. And it's almost like we, we will fill that gap with anything else that we can, you yeah. know, if we can't control our training really closely, then we control our nutrition really closely. And if we can't do that, then maybe it's something else until exactly. finally your, your body and your brain are just like, no, like we, this is going to now prevent you from doing something really important to you. Yeah. And then you've got to actually face what it is that you're trying to run from or why you have all these vices. Exactly. And I feel like that's exactly about the point where my whole training changed my approach with women. Um, and that kind of where the app came from, because um, my son that we adopted has Down syndrome. Mm. And because of his needs, I also couldn't go to the gym. You know, um, it became very difficult to take him to daycare because I didn't know what to do with him or how to handle him. Um, and because he was adopted from an environment that was not good, he had a lot of trauma, things that were not typical with Down syndrome. And so that's where the whole garage gym thing came from my background of, of CrossFit was that there were a lot of women like me with kids with special needs that were in adrenal fatigue, that were feeling horrible about themselves, that were dealing with different sorts of traumas that were the same emotional response that I had to my injury, but they were dealing with it in a, in a caretaker form, basically, but all similar emotions. Um, and realizing that like some of these women just needed to be told you don't need to work out today. You actually need to worry about getting sleep. Let's just focus on sleeping, maybe going for a walk, um, getting good healthy fats in today and drinking your water. Like, and so and we're like, what? Like just having the permission to take a day off or to not need to kill themselves in the gym was the, gonna be their first step to getting better was like mind blowing for so many people. Um, yeah. and that, that was literally where the premise of my app came from and designing it was, more women needed permission to not do all the things. Um, yes. And in that stage of my life, that's very much where my training and impact was. And, you know, it's, it's funny that you say that because 
I've heard so many times being a coach for so many years and also just for myself, like years and years, I felt like taking a couple of days off would have some sort of profound <laughs> effect on me, you know, mm -hmm. and it's kind of funny because you know better, but there's yeah. still, you know, you're like, okay, I should not work out today. Like I just shouldn't, I only got four hours of sleep or I'm not feeling very well, or life yeah. is really stressful and people don't realize exercise is a stressor. That's, that's an additional stress. Yeah. And it is always women that have a harder time, at least in my practice with being okay, taking that day off. Exactly. And that kind of leads into a, a question that I wanted to ask you, just kind of hearing what you were talking about, because I'm, I'm not a parent mm -hmm. and there's kind of a, there's almost a view that I have of potentially becoming a parent where I feel like as a woman, it's not possible to be a mom and do all these other things that you want to do. And I don't know if that's societal. I don't know if it's true. Um, do you have any kind of like thoughts on that? Like, did you feel that way? Or do you feel like there's some truth to that? Or it's just totally bogus. Oh, 100%. Um, yeah. Like I always, I was always the kid that grew up like you're not your typical nurturing. Like I did not have dreams about having kids. I always said openly, I never wanted to have kids. Yeah. I was very career driven, athletic driven, like, yeah, you know? Um, and then we got pregnant with my oldest. It wasn't necessarily like a planned thing. Um, but my husband and I were like, okay, we're going to do this. This is apparently the story that our life is going with. Um, and then once I had one child, I was like, Oh, okay. Like I had to modify and I had to change and I had to sacrifice a little bit, but I didn't have to totally lose myself. And I think um, very many women have this all or nothing approach to everything that we do. And so I think a lot of times we think if I do this, then I have to give up all of this. Mm. Um, and I always talk about modification. We modify exercises all the time. We just have to modify the phases of life we're in. Nothing is set in stone it's not an end-all be-all like I always say I do not love the first few months of having a baby like I'm just not that's just not me I want to be up moving and doing things and you, and you know and you're and you're trying to breastfeed and you're not sleeping and you're like 24-hour care but it's only a phase like you you only go through that maybe eight or 12 weeks on average yeah and then you, your baby starts moving around and then you start feeling better and then you start getting out and like, I was walking with my kids like right away because I like being outside and, and I found ways to continue to be active in different ways to still fulfill that need of like, I'm a high energy person. I need to get that energy out. Um, and so, yes, I would say things changed and adjusted, um, but it wasn't a complete sacrifice of everything. But mm -hmm. I set that boundary early on. Like I refused to let my kids be my whole identity like I still kept that one lane for myself um, and I think that's one thing my older clients that I have now say if they could give any advice to the younger ones it's that exact thing do not lose yourself and your kids mm. yes you're amazing and even your spouse like your marriage or whatever leave that one lane for yourself don't give up your whole entire life because then a lot of times people go through this crisis of when their kids leave or you become an empty nester and you've given up your whole entire identity and life and everything and you're overweight and unhealthy and you have all these pre-existing conditions and you don't know where to begin or and you don't know who you are so if you can at least keep one foot in the lane of 
maintaining who you are and your identity and your health, it's a whole lot easier to like evolve through the stages than mm -hmm. all, all or nothing basically. So, yeah. Yeah. And very similar. I mean, it's probably not, but the way that the only context I really have is in the context of training, but I always tell my clients, you know, there's a season for everything. Exactly. And it seems like maybe that's, that's the approach that, that you're talking about here as well. Like, yes, there was a season to do all of these things. And now the season is shifting a little bit and we do this differently now, yeah. but it doesn't mean that you lose it completely. A hundred percent. Yep. It's the same thing with your business. Like I always say, when I was competing in CrossFit, I was traveling around and competing. And at that stage of life, my focus was on me yeah. and wanting to do the best I can. And then my business started growing and I shifted and was less time in the gym, more time focused on my clients and my business. Um, yes. And that's just a constantly changing thing as you move through. It's, it's, I feel like that's an approach to all areas basically, but for whatever reason, a lot of people don't think that Again, it's those self-imposed beliefs that if we don't put our kids first, we're not a good mom. Yeah. Um, when in fact, if you put yourself in there some way, you're going to be a better mom. Um, yeah. I tell the story. I remember when I, my youngest, or my, my oldest, sorry. I remember her coming in one time. I tell this story whenever I speak and she came in to me one time and I was working out. I was training for CrossFit competitions. I was still running. This was at a stage where we were trying to get pregnant. So I wasn't doing a lot of hormone things, but I was adrenally fatigued, exhausted, emotional, I would just fly off angry. And I remember her coming in and she was like, mom, I've decided I don't want to be a mom. You know, and I was like, okay, why not? And she's like, because you're always tired. You're always grumpy. You're always yelling. You just sleep and you're not here, you know? And I, that was like a gut punch to me. That was, or she was like three or four maybe. And I remember stepping yeah. back and like, you know what? I don't want to be this type of mom either. Um, and I like that sticks with me for a lot of decisions I make between myself and being mom. Like I had completely exhausted myself on trying to be all these things and lost myself in that and needed to get back to who I was and who I wanted to be as a mom and an athlete um, and, and figure that balance back out. Because um, I don't want my kids growing up thinking that's what motherhood was. Oh, Yes. Yeah. hundred percent. What a, what a, what a good wake up call that can be. And I know kids are good for that because yeah. there's, there's no filter at all. No. I'm just going to say it. Yep. <laughs> and sometimes we need that because that was literally the only thing that pulled me out of that, um, at that stage Absolutely. of life. So. so speaking of just kind of, you know, staying on this, on this theme of not just being a, a mom, but being a woman in this industry, I think the fitness industry is a, is a really beautiful place. I think there's a lot of pockets where it's more female dominated. Personally, having a bulk of my experience in the CrossFit world and just generally, even as I moved away from that community, like in functional training in general, yeah. it's always been a very male dominated space, like the areas that I have inhabited. The company that I work for right now, it's literally me managing a bunch of men. Wow. <laughs> and, um, my, you know, I, I owned a gym for a while and I think 90% of gym owners that I knew were male. And I know everybody kind of has different thoughts on this, but how do you feel like being a, a female in the industry has affected your business positively, negatively, any of that? Yeah. Depends on the context. Yeah. Um, if I'm in a fitness, that's like a threefold answer and I can 
get on a soapbox on this. It's extremely difficult for me because I feel like social media has sexualized very much yes. the female professional. Um, and it's, it's caused me some things because in the CrossFit world, as you know, I work on a sports bra and shorts quite often. One, because it's functional. Yeah. Um, if you're going to do a handstand, I'm not going to wear shorts that <laughs> are flop open. I've been yeah. there, done that, learned that lesson very quickly. <laughs> um, or you're doing movements and you're saying something gets hung up on the barbell. Like, you know, for me, it's always functional. I am not posting or trying to be out there to win influencers or win Instagram followers. But because so much of the industry has become that, everyone associates any professional that dresses a certain way or portrays themselves a certain way as, as trying to be sexualized, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's exciting and I can get caught up in it very much with comments or pe- things people say because I take pride in being a professional and being really good at my job and helping people. And that's what I want to be known for, not how I look on my Instagram posts. Mm-hmm. But as you probably experienced, you can post a picture of you doing a workout in sports bra and shorts and it'll get a thousand likes. And then you post a professional portrait of you working with a client and it's like 86. Like it's just yep. the world that we're in. Yep. Um, so when I am in a group and most of what I do is women dominant, I, I feel usually I'm very supported and, and confident in what I do. I have very recently stepped in the strength and conditioning world um, and it is a whole new beast. For example, I posted a video with Simple Faster Magazine um, a couple weeks ago. They are amazing. I love their magazine. They're put out an awesome content. Everyone that I've dealt with in that organization is fantastic. He posted a video of me working with a young girl, first time on the barbell. Um, She's a swimmer. So I only wanted to work the top half of an Olympic lift that I was demonstrating with her. Um, we put two other videos on their, their Instagram and their magazine gone over really well, posted this one. She's never used a barbell before, but I wanted to feature her. I wanted to promote her because she's a young lifter. She's an elite swimmer. Um, and I was like, this would be awesome just to give her the spotlight, give her the chance to be seen. And I got eaten alive on that, that post. Um, I actually had to go and like, um, remove myself from that because it was horrible. Like, you don't know what you're talking about. You should not be a trainer. This is trash. Why would you even put this out there? You, this is a good way to show you don't know what you're talking about. And then people were commenting to the magazine, like, why would you put her on here? Why would you say these things? And what is so fascinating to me is that exact progression that I showed and demonstrated was one that I had learned from Glenn Penley, who is one of the mm-hmm. most well-known weightlifters in the world. I got to train with him personally because he moved to our area in Kansas and I got to train with him for a few years. Yep. That was one of his progressions that he uses. And I know fully if he would have put that video out there and he had demonstrated it one as a male and as who he is, it probably would have been applauded and celebrated. Um, yes. Here. And yeah. I do not like to make things male, female, because if I want to be seen as a female professional, then I'll be willing to take the good and the bad. Mm-hmm. But I fully believe that if that video wouldn't have been promoted by somebody else it would not have been handled like it was um agreed that has been one of the most frustrating (laughs) things but also like I said the magazine editor's like look we can take it down if you want I do not want this to reflect you negatively and I'm like no leave it up I have enough confidence in who I am and how I train and how I helped that girl um 
that it's not worth arguing with people who are not going to at least engage in a conversation about why I did this certain move or why I did it a certain way. Um, it's easier yeah. for bros to come in and comment their hate before they take the chance to get to know who I am, see my experience or ask legit questions and engage in a conversation of why I chose to teach this lift a certain way. I said, the frustrating thing for me is now I can't tell this young girl to go look at that post because I do not want her to, to experience that at a 14 and 15 year old age no. as a female athlete. Um, so that's this, the part that stinks is because the whole post was for her and now I can't use it that way. Um, but that's my first experience in the strength and conditioning world where it's like, all right, I really felt like we were coming a long ways and we've moved forward in this industry and then two steps back. Um, that's that really, uh, that in general is something that makes me very angry about the industry and that type of behavior is why I started the podcast actually, because I think, like I said, a lot of beautiful things about fitness and a lot of beautiful mm -hmm. things about the internet and social media. I think right. overall it's, it's good. Yeah. Um, but fitness has a very low barrier to entry and tends to attract people that are very dogmatic and do get very attached to what they believe. And it also tends to attract very loud people that Agreed. want to tell you what they think. And when I work with coaches, we have some of that as well. You know, I see people that will, for example, they'll go into another coach's class, you know, with a group of people and they'll see someone with bad form or bad, I'll say quote, mm -hmm. air quotes, if you're listening, yes. right? Because you can never judge. You don't know how far that person is exactly. coming, but they'll see someone with less than optimal form and they will be, they will assume that the coach teaching them has done something wrong and they will judge them as being less than. Yep. And I just cut that shit off as soon as I can, because you yep. cannot, you do not know how that person started the year, the month, the week, the class, let them fail a little bit. That's, that's one of the marks of being a good coach. Sure. <laughs> Leave some room for failure. <laughs> you want them to feel the difference. That's what I'm yes. constantly asking. And a lot of times verbal cueing isn't what they need. It's like what you said, they need to struggle through it to figure out how it feels to be in the right. right? Yes. And as a coach, you're not going to fix everything at once. That's no. bad coaching. They're not going to retain that. So that really, it makes me sad to hear. And um, I, I do agree that if it was, you know, maybe someone different, I think there's almost, I've noticed that there's almost an implied Hmm, how do I say this? There's, there's an implied sense of with women in the industry, we have to prove that we know what we're talking about exactly. with men in the industry, especially the loud ones. It's assumed that they know what they're talking about. Agreed. And I think that's yeah. Right. Uh, strength and conditioning conference. She's like, you know, it's one thing men can walk into a room and automatically be accepted. Women can walk into a room and they have to prove themselves before they get to be a part of the conversation. Ooh. She's like, it's still that way. And I'm like, that's a hundred percent. Agreed. Yeah. Oh, that's, I mean, it's really powerful. And that has also been shown in a, in a variety of professional settings, like with, you know, studies that people have done, but um, I, I also think that's why a lot of us have adopted a little bit more masculine energy because we just have to, otherwise yeah. you just get walked on. <laughs> right. 
but I don't feel like I should have to sacrifice what I wear, how I lift, yeah. um, to be assumed as being professional and knowing what I'm talking about, you know? Yes. Um, because that's usually the kickback. Well, if you do it, if you, if you wore this, or if you didn't wear this, or if you did it this way, or, you know, yeah. I'm like, I guess I don't understand why I have to compromise one for the other when this is who I am, you know? Absolutely. And if it, if it bothers someone, I guess the approach I take is that that that's probably their problem. Like it's, I don't really see why I should have to adjust for that either. I agree. Um, now moving into kind of more of the, the teenage girl population that you work with, the, these young women. Yeah. Have you found that there's any kind of major obstacles that you see time and time again that they have either with their body image or struggling with their training things like that anything you have to work through most commonly with them yeah lifting <laughs> getting them to want to lift weights oh I don't want I don't want to go bulky I, I just want to do cardio and abs you know and and it's a hard hard balance yeah especially when you try to explain I don't know how many times I've had this conversation just in the last two weeks even with parents well, my daughter would prefer if we did more, if you did more cardio and ab stuff, or if you, if you didn't do as much lifting, well, you know, we, you have to educate on the, you can't spa reduce and we're working core and every single thing that we do. I feel like, especially myself, the way I train, because I work a lot with, with people that are adaptive or um, imbalanced or don't have a lot of function. We have to train core first. Like you have to learn how to breathe. You have to learn how to stabilize for the rest of the body to respond in a way that's not going to lead you to entry. So I feel like I spend way more time working on core than anyone else and mobility and stability. Mm -hmm. um, so trying to help girls realize, you know, and, and I guess that's part of where my own story comes in. I'm like, I literally ran hours and hours and hours and never had strong abs or a quote six pack or whatever you want to call it or defined muscles until I started lifting. <laughs> and lifting heavy and lifting in a way that was smartly programmed um, and following a program. Um, like my body did not change and that was even after kids. So trust me on this. Um, I, this, is what, this is what I know is going to work. You're, you're young, you're still growing. Most of you aren't eating enough to even touch getting bulky. Um, so it's just a lot of like, you're gonna have to trust me on this. You're gonna have to trust me on this. Um, yeah, I guess that's, and that's more my kids that are just general fitness. You know, a lot of my kids that are in athletic things. It's more like just ex exhaustion. They're tired because they're doing all the things all the time. So actually trying to encourage them to slow down mm. um, is also, and trying to encourage the parents to let them slow down. <laughs> there's a lot with that piece. So there's probably a twofold answer to that. My, my kids that are in every single sport under the sun playing year round it's slow down, take time off. You need to not be doing all the things. And then my kids that aren't, that are just more general fitness, teaching them not to be afraid of lifting heavy or, or moving heavy things or um, getting strong. Shouldn't be fearful of getting strong. Absolutely. And what about, you know, when, when we move into kind of the adaptive fitness population, because this is an area that even I am not super experienced with. I've worked with a couple people with special needs. Yeah but definitely not extensive. And it's not something I feel very confident about. Do you feel like there's any guiding principles that you would say apply to that population when you train them? In terms of like motivating or? 
Um, yeah, just kind of anything like, do you, is there kind of an, uh, an approach that you take with, with every client that comes to you that might, mm -hmm. you know, be more in the adaptive fitness space or is it totally individual? Uh, there's no hard and fast rules. <laughs> I will tell you that. Like they always say, when you've met one person on the autism with autism spectrum disorder, you've only met one person with autism spectrum disorder. Yeah. And I feel like that's the same approach to anyone with special needs. There are like, I always say like, because I have a son with Down syndrome and I work with a lot of people with Down syndrome, like universally their tendencies are across the board the same, almost always, especially like physical, like they have small hands, um, they have really small features. So it's hard to grip. They're very visually driven. Um, they have about a 10 second processing time. So you can only communicate every 10 seconds or so, and then you got to give them a chance to process and then react. And they typically only hear the last few words of what you say. So you want to keep one or two word sentences um, as you go. Whereas like, and so for them, their motivation is fun, um, music, like anything but exercise. <laughs> um, they want it, they just want it to be fun. They're here for the party. They're here to, to do the fun things. Whereas like a person that's more, um, on the autism spectrum disorder, they're very much driven by black and white hard fast rules. Mm -hmm. Like, like for me, one of my guiding questions with a lot of people with autism spectrum disorder is like, who's your celebrity crush? Who do you want to look like? Mm -hmm. They'll have more than likely researched every single thing about that person. And they'll know when they work out, how much they work out. And then I try to guide their program to that, you know, okay, well, this is what they do. And this is what we're going to do, but it's really similar. Um, whereas my people that have like, um, cerebral palsy or spinal cord injuries, um, their independence is their lifeline. And so being able to drive or use hand devices to drive with, or being able to transfer themselves from their toilet to their chair or from their chair to their bed, um, that's their number one driving force. Um, mm -hmm. most people with, a, you know, special needs um, are not materialistically driven. Aesthetics don't mean a whole lot to them. Mm -hmm. Some of my clients with autism spectrum disorder are, but I think that's why I love that population so much because their health is their lifeline. And so we get to really do hard things and push hard things in the littlest change is life-changing for them, you know, um, and so rewarding in that, in that way, um, because they can, they're so in tune with their bodies um, in a very holistic way, I guess you could say that everything's exciting. Every change is exciting. Every improvement is exciting. Um, and they can feel it and experience it way before most typical people can. Um, so that's, that part's exciting. But as far as one guiding principle, it's that you have to be completely open-minded I've gone into multiple sessions and thrown my original plan out the door and within like 10 seconds of walking in the door because I can feel the energy. I can, um, I always say there's very many um, factors that influence the behavior of a person with special needs. And because they're so sensitive, all of these things driving for their attention and it can be visually, it can be auditory, it can be, um, they might have ate breakfast 10 minutes later. They might be going on a trip with their family in the next day. It might be all these things that you don't know about could be contributing to behaviors they're having. And if you walk in and you can already feel that energy or see that, we are not doing high intensity, overwhelming, overstimulating activities that day. Because you're. I don't want to contribute to that 
elevated sense of stress. You know, we'll turn the music off, we'll turn the lights down. We will do more rhythmic calming, um, we'll do loading, joint compression, calming sensory things. Mm. Um, so I go in with the plan, but very often that changes. So being able to think on the fly, adapt on the fly, and just know your clients really well. Yeah. It's probably the hard and fast rule that I would say. Other than that, there is no one. There is no one. No one guiding principle. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like there's a lot of, maybe not intuition. I don't think that's the right word, but something along that line that you have to have working with that, with that population. Just Correct. let me see how this person feels that this day. Yeah. And depending on how that is, we might go this way. We might stick to the quote unquote plan or we might not. And yeah. we'll just see what, when they get here. Yeah. Can you think of a, maybe a recent or just like a success story that kind of pops into your mind, like an accomplishment that one of your special needs clients has made that just really kind of touched you? That was yeah. really interesting for you. Um, probably one of the most recent is I've been working with a young man. He was a senior in high school last year and he was in a one one person car accident and he's a state wrestler football player um, and he had a spinal cord injury and he's in a wheelchair now and his original injury was I always forget I think C4 wow technically he was not going to have use of anything above that or I mean below that Um, and so he and I have been working out for probably it's probably been seven months now because he went through rehab at Madonna in Nebraska for a lot, a long time, then went through PT for almost a year because he's almost a year and a half out of his injury. Um, and then they sent him home and they were like, okay, well, you need to get stronger on your own before we can look at like driving and all these independent things. Well, that's a lot for a person to try to be able to do on their own at home. And so um, I actually started working with his stepmom, his stepmom. I'm like, you know what? This is what I do. Like, just have him come over. We can just see what we can figure out. If he doesn't like it, you don't have to come back. If you do, I got some really cool ideas for what we can work on. So we started training and he had a background on lifting before because of his sports. So it's been really cool lifting with him because he knows what he should feel and he knows what the movement should be. He just doesn't quite have the connections yet to like make it happen. Mm-hmm. Like he knows how it should do it. Um, so he's been really fun that we've done um, his goal was to wheel himself across the stage for um, graduation, high school graduation in May. And so that was our main goal. We got him into, because he uses um, one of the automatic chairs where he drives with this, because he doesn't have use of his fingers very well, so he drives with his wrist. Um, but we got him in a, a manual chair, and he has since been able to get the ability to squeeze here. He was able to feed himself for the first time a couple months ago. He was like, it was just chips, and it wasn't even anything major, but he was able to pinch and like feed himself. Um, but just yesterday, I worked with him yesterday and he, um, we can lean his chair back and he bench pressed 15 pound barbell, three sets of eight. Um, and he was wheeled himself across graduation. Um, he ran, he wheeled a mile in his chair. Um, and considering a year and a half ago, they told him he wouldn't be able to use his arms, his, his hands, he wouldn't be able to do any of those things. He's basically blowing all of that out of the water. So wow. he's been really fun. Um, he's up for anything. He's willing to try anything. And so we've done cool things. And then some things we die laughing because we're like, there's no way. Why were we thinking that was going to work? But um, he's going to college in the fall. He's enrolled and um, 
his goal is to drive a car. That's the next thing we're working on is to get him. He has a van already. So we've been researching grips that he can use and drive. Yeah. Fingers in his wrists. Um, so there's really cool um, opportunities for him that I think that now that he's got strength and figured out he can be strong, that we can pursue um, some of our goals in our kayaking and, and swimming at some point. So amazing. Yeah. He's probably been one of the most recent fun ones that I've, that I've worked with. So. And since we're, we are kind of moving into, um, into the, the end of the, the show here, but I'm just thinking for those people like, you know, like me, or maybe someone who has a special needs child or a trainer who wants to mm -hmm. learn more about how to work with population with special needs, you have some information coming out about that, right? Correct. Yes. This has been my baby project. I've been working on the last few years. I have created a continuing education course and certification um, called the Adaptive Fitness Exercise Specialist. Mm -hmm. And it is literally, it's, I think it's a four or five hour course that comes with a book and videos of all my hands-on training that I do to try to educate um, adaptive fitness PE teachers or te teachers at school, personal trainers, um, physical therapists, whoever it may be on how I approach fitness for um, adults with special needs. My main focus is, is um, ambulatory, non-ambulatory, um, specifically Down syndrome autism. I, I try to cover the main ones that I see most often and that I feel like most trainers will, will deal with um, and then clients that are in wheelchairs. Um, and I take you through start to finish how I work with the caretakers, the questions I ask in the initial consultations, how to get to know your client really well, what client, what questions you should be asking. And then I provide all the tools that I use to keep a client on track, how to measure their progress, how to keep them motivated, um, incentives that work, and then a warm up, a strength, a skill for all the different populations. And I break it out into a six week um, progression that you can learn and follow and hopefully come out feeling more confident in approaching this population and, and then teaching them and educating them um, and changing their lives like I get to. So that will hopefully be this fall. Um, it will be on my website at shestrength.com. And then I'm also working with um, the American Council on Exercise, ACE um, Fitness. They're also going to be releasing this course as part of their CEU courses as well, so. Amazing, that's really, really exciting. And yeah. uh, so that we will link up uh, Anna's website in the show notes here, guys, but she's also got an app and programs on her website that are available that look really cool. I am, uh, I'm actually moving to another state and I'm going to have like, just like my dumbbells and my bands mm -hmm. with me. And I'm like, maybe I should just, maybe I should just do this for a while. Cause it looks yeah. like it's really helpful just to get some good work in outside of the gym. Um, and it also sounds like you, you don't just kind of throw people into hugely high intensity activity yeah. <laughs> that as well. So your yeah. programs are great for beginners as well, but do you have any specific program that you'd recommend for someone that maybe is just kind of starting out? Yeah. So probably like when everyone starts, we work through a two week learn to lift course, which is online. And it's basically going through the main lifts that we're going to use. And you, I have you take video and send them back to me. I have tutorial videos that you follow with like this is how this should feel. This is what this should look like. Um, especially because most of my programs are geared toward women. We talk a lot about pelvis control. We're learning how to engage the lower abdominals, um, learning how to breathe and not be in a stress breathing pattern all the time, learning how to increase range of motion um, and a lot of stress relieving um, modalities at the beginning. And then we move from core to extremity and add load 
move from there. So amazing. Yeah, very basic. I work very conservatively. Um, and then based off that two week and the feedback I get from you, then we determine where you should go with a level of program from there. So beautiful. I love it. And uh, Anna is also on social media, uh, Instagram at she strength, and we'll kind of link up all of that in the show notes as well. But before we part, I have some rapid fire, just kind of, you know, quick ask, quick answer questions. Are are you ready? I will try my best. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. So what do you feel is currently the biggest lie or common misconception in the fitness industry? Uh, No pain, no gain. (laughs) Simple and so true. (laughs) That would probably be mine too, actually. (laughs) Really, how funny. Yes. I hate the uh, quotes that are, and all the motivational things that are out there that say that. I'm like, yeah, disregard. I know. I, know. I totally agree. What was the best advice you ever received about your own fitness or health? Um, that sometimes you have to give permission to yourself to take time off. Mm. Um, that actually improving your health comes during the rest periods. Um, and during high stress times that most of us women live in these days, that needs to be more often than most of us give ourselves. So, Absolutely. Yeah. With that recovery is more important than so many people know. Yes. Uh, what is something that you used to preach or used to teach your, you know, your clients or trainees or whatever it was that you no longer do anymore? You've moved away from um more is better (laughs) Mm. I feel like and and I think some of that maybe came from my CrossFit experience that I've kind of gotten away from is yeah a lot of high reps um yeah the more is better mentality I quality over quantity I guess I mean quantity over quality I don't agree with that and I probably used to preach that way too much um now I'd rather see you do a lot less reps with really good form and you're going to (laughs) actually usually gets stronger anyway. So yes, yes. Your body will thank you in more ways than one. Exactly. And then finally, do you have a favorite quote? Um, I don't know if it's a quote, but probably a mentality that I follow a lot is um, never to assume things about people because you never know what people are going through. Hmm. Um, And I think just because I work with so many adaptive people that I've learned not to assume anything, Because once you get to know people on a deeper level, you're, I don't know, I've been, my mind has been blown more ways by learning stories about people that I would have never guessed or never assumed. And I have so much more respect for knowing that they're standing in front of me and still living and breathing um, after hearing some of their stories. Um, And you may see them in a different spotlight on social media or in social settings. But once you get to know them deep down, because fitness is such a vulnerable thing and puts people in a vulnerable state, I think we as trainers get to hear those stories a lot more than other people and get to see people on a real level. Um, and I have learned not to assume because uh, people go through a lot more than we realize. So extending a lot more grace is uh, very important. So I don't know if that's a quote, but it's a mentality that I live by for sure. So. I love that. Yeah. Really important for everyone to hear. Well, Anna, thank you so much. This was a really cool discussion and I'm excited to talk with you again sometime. And uh, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, it was great meeting you as well. I enjoyed it. All right, guys. Uh, If you are listening, have a pain-free day and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening today. 
I'd really appreciate it if you could like, subscribe, and leave a review on the podcast so that more people can hear us in the future. Have a pain-free day.